Broadcasting from the News Radio 102.9 KARN Radio Center and Studio 1B, it is Guatney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, Scott Romine here. Hope you're having a great Saturday. This is the most unique show we have ever done. We are actually recording. We're not at KARN. We are, I don't know how many feet down, in a missile silo in Valonia. And we're talking with G.T. Hill. He's the owner of Titan Ranch, and he is restoring or restored most of part of a uh, an actual missile silo that, that i guess closed about 85 how are you good sir yourself I, i'm good what this is the neatest thing to i feel like we're in the millennium falcon or something really cool like that um, well i appreciate that yeah, yeah it's really really neat um what is the history of these missile silos in arkansas oh they um they were built from about 60 to 62 as part of the cold war program for deterrence against russia well i mean they they existed up to about 85 how many were in arkansas yeah we had uh 18 of these in arkansas um they were all based out of little rock air force base so there's two squadrons the 373rd and 374th each had nine missile silos uh this one is 373-9 so that was its original designation as a uh, uh this was a literal missile base that we're on right now how many people were, were assigned here 24 hours a day? Uh, there'd be four airmen, two officers, two enlisted. Um, they would be here for 24 hours at a time called an alert. Um, so they would come in here. They uh, have a kitchen, bathroom, bedroom. Um, so they were here for about 24 hours at a time um, to, to man wild. the missile, do checks, maintenance, etc. As we came in the road here, it, it looked like there were some places in the road would have would have been gates or what would have been what would have kept somebody from just driving up here like we did yeah the cattle guards are very unique uh in arkansas to the missile bases so if you any of you are out there driving around and you see these very unique angled cattle guards that's likely a missile base but the third cattle guard you got to was that's the start of the missile base so originally there would be razor wire fence Mm -hmm. um lots of towers uh, antennas, you, you knew that you were at a missile base. Lots of warnings to tell you to not proceed. Would there have been guards out there or probably uh, just people oddly, in here? Odd, oddly enough, there weren't guards out there. Um, really? Yeah, there weren't, there weren't any security guards um, unless they were just out on patrol. Uh, but there were huge motion sensor systems outside. So they were called TIPSIs, which stands for something I can't think of right now, but uh, they were just huge motion sensors wow. that would detect if anything was around the missile silo itself or the entrance that you guys came down. Like Kind of like the original Arlo, <laughs> I guess, you <Right>. know, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, it was it was a, probably a bit more sophisticated, but yeah. Um, At what point do they decide we're going to get rid of these missiles, and then what happens to them? Uh, so... There was a lot leading up to this. Titan II was only supposed to last about 10 years. Um, little backstory, the missile systems of four Titan II, like Atlas E, Atlas F, Titan I, they were only in service just a number of single-digit years. Um, reason being is in mutually assured destruction, uh, MAD, what makes that work is time. So okay. if two cowboys are pointing guns at each other, whoever shoots first and hits first wins. But in mutually assured destruction like us versus Russia, if they launch, we have 30 minutes to respond because it takes 30 minutes for warheads to get here. So 
uh, ostensibly they fire, we fire back, missiles cross midair, everybody dies, that's mutually assured destruction. The problem was, is prior to Titan II, it would take us an hour or two to launch a missile. Oh. Uh, and some systems had to be elevated up or uh, tipped upright, then fueled, took too long. Um, so if, if Russia had preemptively strike before Titan II, we would have not won. Um, Titan II could be launched in 58 seconds. So oh once gosh. war orders were given, keys are turned, 58 seconds later, she's out the door. So that's why Titan II actually lasted until uh, the last one was uh, um, decommissioned. Judsonia was actually the last Titan II in the entire of the 54 in the United States was the last one decommissioned in 1987. Any idea where your missile was pointed exactly? Uh, no, that's a great question. Um, there were three target locations, and they were just labeled target one, two, and three. And even today, that's still one of the only parts of Titan II that's classified. Uh, even the airmen that worked here didn't know. They were really? told to press one, two, or three. Uh, yeah, from a psychological perspective, it's good to not know where your well, you know, nine-megaton so. warhead's going to land. <laughs> so when they go to, to decommission and take this thing apart, how was that done? Or what happened to them? Yeah, as I mentioned, the Atlas EF Titan One, they just closed the doors. Literally closed the door, eventually sold back to original landowners. With Titan II... But they took the missile out, right? They did, which is unfortunate, but um, yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Titan II, what they did is they were decommissioned during a treaty with Russia. So called the SALT Treaty, uh, Strategic Arm Limitation Talks. So Gorbachev and Reagan got together and said, hey, let's not kill the world 10 times. Let's do it five times. Sure. And um, so Titan II had to be decommissioned in a certain way. Um, so there were blueprints for those decommissionings. That included blowing the top 20 feet of the silo off, um, filling it in with debris. And in fact, uh, back up, once they blew it up, Russia got six months to determine that it was actually blown up. They had to verify it. And once it was verified, they filled it up, put a concrete cap 20 feet underground over the silo, buried it. They blew up uh, the access portal that you guys walked down with the stairs. Mm -hmm. They blew that up. And then this vent shaft, which is the ventilation and escape shaft behind us here, they filled that full of mud. And then the top 17 feet was filled full of concrete. And that's how it was when I got it. So Russians at some point walked through here and inspected that this was done. No. You they, don't think? They were supposed to do it via satellite. Oh. Uh, we didn't let them boots on the ground. Hey, we blew it up. Look. Correct. Really? Uh, but we were doing the same thing to them. Now, I think rumors I've heard is we don't know that they did it by satellite. Maybe they just drove uh, by in a pickup truck and took a look. We don't actually know. Uh, but they got those six months to verify. What well, would take us, what, a couple of hours to verify today via... Uh, satellite sure. took them a while in the mid 80s right google map it you know right you know uh, are there any live missiles in arkansas of a different type uh there are not so all modern nuclear weapons are are elsewhere really okay uh did they use any silos like this and adapt them to a new type of more modern missile or did, or did all of these across the united states get I guess terminated. No, they were all de all but one was decommissioned in the way that I just explained. The only one that was uh, survived was the Titan Missile Museum. It's not a museum in Arizona, oh, okay. so it's fully preserved. Still has a missile in it. No warhead, of course, um, but that was negotiated with Russia to leave it. Um, so there are separate stipulations for how that had to be had to be left. How many? Things like this are privately owned in the United States, or do people own property and don't know they have one? It'd be hard to not know that you have one, but 
Um, they're almost all in private hands. Like all 18 silos in Arkansas are in private hands. Um, Kansas is a hotbed for missile silos. Um, and they're all, to my knowledge, not all, but most of them are in private hands or some local governments. But have they been dug up and restored like yours? Uh, no, there's very few people that are um, ridiculous enough or eccentric enough I to, think it's to awesome. do what we've done. I mean, it's just, I thought I was crazy building a General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard. You've taken it to a whole new level of cool. You know? um, yeah, there's there's both sides of that coin, cool or uh, or ridiculous, and <laughs> depending on the day, I don't know which one I'm at. Are there any kind of clubs or groups of people that own silos and y'all get together or know each other or share experiences? I'm not allowed to speak of these things. Oh, is that I'm right? Ca- no, I'm making that up. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, there are a there's a there's a private Facebook group. Uh, it's it's not unknown, but no, there are groups of people that that have missile silos and. Um, yeah, so we chat and, I don't know, compare missile silo systems to each other. I don't really know what it's, else we do. It's got to be a really expensive venture to try to put this thing back. It is. Um, I mean, I'm not putting it back the original way. I mean, sure. this place was underwater for 25 years when I got it, so they ripped out a lot of equipment. There, It would have been a multi-million dollar project to try to put it back the way it was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've spent... I don't know, five, six hundred thousand dollars probably pretty easily working on it. And that's with me doing a lot of the labor. Not for sure, not all of it, but a lot of it. Okay. Hey, tell me the missile silo part we can't get to yet, right? Correct. It may not ever get there. We don't know. Well, unless a major network TV show wants to pay for it, then probably not. That could happen, though. You never know. It could. It could. (laughs) We're almost talking. You're telling us that where we're at is hanging like a birdcage. Can you explain that? Yeah, so we're on level three. So when you're underground, you count backwards. So we're in the lowest part of the Uh, launch control center. So we're on level three, two and one are, of course, above us. The three floors uh, as an assembly are all connected together. You guys can see, you know, we have big I-beams and X-braces holding this all together. Um, But this assembly, like you mentioned, was nicknamed the birdcage. It's called that because we're hanging from a ceiling, a lot like Tweety Bird, if you remember Tweety Bird from the cartoon. Yeah. So... Those, there's eight springs that are holding all of us up. Uh, again, they're connected to the ceiling. And that was just, that was for nuclear war. Everything in this facility was on springs. And I'm talking, I have a telephone, or one of the original telephones. It was on the wall, has two springs on, uh, on top and bottom. Uh, but it was all to absorb shock in case of nuclear war. Not, not necessarily the missile going off, but one hitting close. Oh, the missile going off, you could probably sleep through that in this place. I mean, it was... Really? I, I don't even know that I'm exaggerating because, uh, I mean, below us is eight feet of concrete. Uh, I mean, it's, it's another... It's 250 feet to the missile from here through tunnels, and there's two 6,000-pound blast doors between here and there. So uh, I don't know that I'm exaggerating, so you could probably sleep through it. Wow. You talked earlier about, you know, and we've seen in movies, you turn the two keys and... I, have you found where that would have been? Uh, for sure. Yeah, that's on the floor above us. Okay. Uh, I have all the original blueprints and pictures and, and all that, but the original um, desk from my site, so there's two launch desks. One of the original launch desks is actually at the Jacksonville Military Museum. Uh, big plug for them, great place to go. So if anybody ever wants to go, I highly recommend it. But it, it's a long story how that happened, but the desk from this site is actually at that museum. And that went through salvagers taking it out in the 80s, getting stored in Kansas for 20 or 30 years, and then it actually made its way back and just happens to be from this site. What's, what I'm curious is, you know, 
Did you contemplate, were you ever torn with, okay, I want to put it back to look like it did, or do I want to make it a more modern party club atmosphere? Were you kind of torn with that? Because it's really cool in here, but it's not, I guess, what it was. No, it's definitely it's definitely not original. Right. Um, I wanted it. I fancy myself kind of a designer kind of guy. Oh, and, yeah. And we'll, we'll see if that's true or not. But I didn't want to come in here and feel real military. But I also I didn't you. want to get rid of the original elements that I didn't want you to, to, to mistake being in a missile silo. So it's, it's a balance, right? So we kept the springs. We, you know, this whole structure still works, which is quite complicated because we put in new electrical and new plumbing. Well, when you do that, you have to make it flexible. It has to be able to move because this whole place not only can move, it does move. When we walk around the whole, these floors will move when we're walking a little bit. So (laughs) you have to design for that. What was the hardest thing about this whole project? Um, the truth is the psychology part, the mental part. It's not, I'm sure you were asking, is it digging it out? Is it all that? But, but really it's the mental perseverance to, to realize that you've spent 50, 100, $200,000 and you have nothing to show for it. It's, I always joked about doing a video for our YouTube channel where I just took money into just throwing it into a hole because for a lot of years, that's the way it was. And before you really had it, anywhere right, near this useful, point right, right i right. mean it's not it's it's not useful for many years i mean it would be a good tornado shelter four thousand square foot tornado shelter but beyond that you couldn't do much with it so that that mental side was actually the biggest challenge to get through did uh, you ever think about living down here that was the original plan um is i knew that i wanted to make it a livable home and and by self-sustaining i don't mean uh off grid i mean just uh, it's got a washer and dryer and it's got a kitchen bathrooms right. that you can come down here and live and it's a house and we finally achieved that milestone we installed the washer and dryer which i'm pointing to over there um that washer and dryer was the last appliances in here to make it an actual home and we did ah, that so in cool. december last year so not it was just recently i can't imagine what it was like when you first get down to the part where you can see the water i mean it must have been like aliens four or something looking down in here and it was full of water how, how difficult was it to pump all that water out that take days and days and days and days uh no at the time i had rented so this was 2010 so there's still a lot of remnants from the oil and gas industry being here so it was actually pretty easy to rent pretty big pumps at the ah. time um so i'd rented a, a four cylinder diesel hydraulic pump and really that was just to save time because we had rented a big excavator and a big dozer and we only had a week really to get this open. So we dug open the access portal because it was flat land when I bought this place. Cows were roaming around. Mm-hmm. So we dug down, saw the door. And as you dig down, then you're running a pump. Then you dig more running a pump because the, the water was flowing into this place. We At the time, we didn't know where from, but, but we knew, I mean, obviously there was water continually coming in. Um, yeah, so once we dug down, we saw the front door. That's one of four 6,000-pound blast doors. Yeah. Uh, it was closed, um, which provided a really interesting challenge because behind that door, the door was closed. It was pinned shut. But as we dug down, there was water behind the door. This whole facility that you were in, you'd be scuba diving right now. Oh, sure. Um, the, so the door had all that pressure from the water behind it. So how do you open a door with 250 tons of water behind how it? How do you do that? Um, you want me to give it away? Oh, here? yeah. All right. So in perfect Arkansas fashion, I'm like, all right, here's the solution I can think of. 
Um, the pin that was holding it shut is one of the original four four-inch hydraulic pins. Now, they took the hydraulic portion out. So I was like, hey, look, let's get in the bucket of the excavator. We'll pry on the pin. But that isn't going to work because there's all that shear pressure being put on the pin from the pressure of the water behind it. And water is just splashing on us because there's conduit holes above it. So we're getting drenched in water. So we're prying on the pin. And then the idea was have the excavator operator push with the bucket of the excavator. And we're in the bucket uh, as we're prying on it. And about 10, 15 seconds into it, pop. Uh, Pin pops. All the pressure from the door pushes. This is a, a Cat 330 excavator. You know, this is a mm-hmm. really big machine. Pushes the bucket back. Water comes crashing over the top of us. This is all on video, by the way. This is awesome. Uh, crashes over us. Well, the excavator operator couldn't see us because of the steep oh, yeah. angle where, sure. where it was at. So uh, there were a number of people on the surface watching us do this. In my mind, the time from the door opened to the time that I started screaming like a small child, it felt like about 10, you know, 30 seconds. Realistically, it was about one second. So I start screaming up, up, up because the operator can't see us. And then he pulls us up. But uh, that was the you probably the most. died right here. Just getting the door open. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it, I sure thought that. <laughs> yeah. There was about that four seconds where I was screaming up. And then four seconds later, I was like, this is awesome. I was super excited, happy. I had survived and we got the door open. That's the best of both worlds. You have had to have wanted to put on the Indiana Jones hat and come down here the first time. Uh, I mean, I, I can never, I'm not that cool. I'm not, I mean, uh, yeah, I can't pull that off. I, you know, it, it is, it's just, it's a really, really, have you had some parties? Have you had some people come in from out of town to go through this? Or? Oh, yeah. We, um, in 2019, we started doing corporate events down here. Uh, we got a couple bathrooms working, and so we were doing, we have a whole corporate meeting space on the floor above us with projectors and whiteboards. Um, and we were doing some birthday parties because we have a big sound system and movie theater. But as we pivoted a little bit we finally got enough money and time that's what that's why this project's taken 10 years money and time collide we get a project done um so in november of 2020 um a friend of mine and i um he does a lot of home renovation and he just happens to do a lot of uh, of this project he and i got together in uh, and finished level one which is the master bed and bath and then we finished out the kitchen the, yeah. the master bed and bath is quite nice. You yeah. Know. I mean, it's so I guess people can come and spend the night here. They like, can. Yeah. Like we, a bed and breakfast type it, thing. Yeah, it is actually. I don't know that we'd serve a great breakfast, but it's definitely <laughs> an interesting bed space. Um, yeah. People rent the whole. We've been booked about 20 to 25 nights a month for the last few months. And people come stay the night and um, reviews have been good. People seem to like it. So it's definitely a unique experience. What's the website if somebody wants to? Uh, um, this thing. titanranch.com is our website um, from there you can link to our YouTube channel which is called Death Wears Bunny Slippers well, of course uh, of course it has to have a weird name like that uh, yeah right now we're booking through Airbnb because so it makes it nice and easy this is the coolest show we've done I think and we're talking with GT Hill where did the name of your YouTube Titan uh, what is it Death Wears Bunny Slippers yeah Death where's Wears that Bunny come Slippers. from uh, I can't say that I, I didn't make that up so that was an original Air Force patch um, called Death Wears Bunny Slippers. No way. Yeah, but where, where the name came from is the joke would be, as I mentioned earlier, that people would come down here for 24 hours at a time. Well, if there was going to be any kind of commander come out for an inspection, you got hours of notice, right? There's big doors to go through. It's a process. So the joke was, 
And I don't know how often this happened, but the joke was is that airmen would come down here and you're here for 24 hours. You might as well put pajamas on. Well, if you're going to get comfortable, you might as well put pajamas and your bunny slippers on. Well, sure. Well, what happens if you get orders to launch the largest nuclear missile the U.S. has ever had while wearing bunny slippers? You are death wears bunny slippers. That is very true. So that's where the name originated. So we took the name and made our own little logo for it and paid homage to it. You need t-shirts of that. We have t-shirts for (laughs) that. That's that's great. Has anyone ever showed up here and said, hey, I was assigned to this thing. I lived in it and told you things that you didn't know? Oh, for sure. We've been fortunate enough. We're, We're a big part of the, you asked about communities earlier. There's a big Titan II community of, you know, closed groups. Uh, of people that used to work in these. So I've met a number of people that uh, were stationed here or at others, even, you know, the Damascus site, if you've heard of that accident, um, it's, uh, I know a number of people that were there that night. Um, So it's been really fortunate to meet um, those men and women that worked in these places. We've got to talk about that that accident. That was up around 80 or so. We had a silo. Yeah, an explosion in a silo. Can you tell us how that occurred and What's become of that today? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I appreciate you asking. There's a lot of myths around a sure. couple accidents in Arkansas. This one was um, two gentlemen were working on, they were propellant transfer. Uh, that was their group. So they weren't the, one of the four airmen. They were maintenance on the fuel systems. So they're working on the side of the missile. And they're remember, they're basically in spacesuits doing this because the fuel system is really scary. Um, one of them drops an eight-pound socket. It falls about 80 feet, hits what's called the thrust ring, bounces, hits the side of the missile, missile starts leaking fuel. Um, and you say socket. Most people think it's a wrench. Correct. I mean, you could call it a socket wrench. Okay, but it's socket a socket wrench. You know, okay. it's, a, it's a, you know, probably three-inch, four-inch socket wrench. It's eight pounds, so it's quite sizable. And it doesn't explode immediately. It does not. Um, missiles are a lot like soda cans. If they're full and you haven't opened them yet, you can stand on them and they won't, they won't crush. Right. But when they soda can empty, easy to crush. Missiles are the same way, very thin walled. So missiles leaking fuel, um, about 12 hours pass, and they're trying to decide how to solve this problem. And you know, I'm try- it's kind of like telling the story of Titanic. I'm telling you the end, right? The end is the missile blows up. Right. Uh, one airman lost their lives. Um, and he was down in it at the time, I guess, trying to deal with the leak. Correct. They were trying to figure out what to do with it. And there's a great documentary on this. There's a book and a documentary called Command and Control. Uh, for the, anyone interested, I highly recommend both. Um, but yeah, he he went down to try to... It, it was really... It's very easy in hindsight to look at it. There was nothing they could do. Um, the biggest decision was, they had to make was, do you open the door or not? So there's a 600-ton door covering the missile. So the question is, do you open the missile to try to the, the, the door to ventilate? Well, that's a tough decision to make because you would think that, that would be obvious. But if the missile still blows up, where does the warhead go? Well, the warhead would be blown up into the, yeah. into the sky. And there's a chance that the missile, that the warhead thinks that it's been launched. And on its way back down, you know, it's going, its altimeter is going to say, hey, you're falling right now. Maybe you should do your job and, and go off. 
uh, which would be bad. So that was part of the decision to leave the door closed. But that door, that 600-ton door, went a quarter mile when the, when the missile blew up. The warhead ended up in a ditch about 300 yards away. And I they know did, the guy they, who found it. They didn't find it until the next day, right? It was dark, and there was massive amounts of debris. So a little warhead, I mean, the warhead is small comparatively. To find the warhead um, amongst all the debris was not easy. But yeah, I know the guy who found it, and he tells a funny story that the forklift operator was going to put, you know, putting it on the trailer and the forklift operator was really nervous about doing this job. And, um, the gentleman who found it said, don't worry about it. If it goes off, you'll never know. That's right. <laughs> you know, no exactly. countdown timer or anything. See what's on the other side, you yeah, know? Yeah. Pretty instantly. And what would the, what would the warhead have weighed if he's out here picking it up in a, that's, I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. They didn't leave it with me. And they took it to a pawn shop and hawked it, right? I've I mean, sort of heard. Yeah, it seems like we've heard the, the same story. <laughs> uh, I've heard that the president was in Hot Springs the night this happened. Is that true? Um, I've as heard, the governor, I, the president of the United States was not, to okay. my knowledge. The governor um, was. Um, so, yes, there was, um, again, in the documentary, uh, you see that there was... Um, Yes, there was a there was a lot of political stuff going on. Not political in a bad way, but yeah, a lot yeah. of people were quite nervous about it. Had it went off, what kind of a radius would it have taken out? Conway or um, Cabot, Valonia? So, yeah, there there are actually websites that tell you you can actually put in Titan two and it'll tell you the blast radius. Um, about this would have been a ground burst as opposed to an air burst. Most nuclear weapons actually ignite in the air right not in over the, the city or whatever correct about 45 mile radius would have been pretty deadly and then beyond there depending on the direction of the winds and a lot of other factors but it's a scary scary thing i've heard that when they found the warhead they knew there was no chance it had it had to have electricity to go off a supposedly yeah there's a lot of safeguards in place for nuclear weapons i mean they're designed to take exactly this situation blown up in a fire uh and not go off um so the designers and the warhead did its job um let's say that your silo here had been used and the missile fires what is the crew supposed to do at that point were they supposed to live down here how much rations do they have what what was the plan after for these guys? There really wasn't one. Uh, they didn't have rations. There was no government-supplied really? rations. Not that I'm aware of. I've never heard of any, like, hey, you have 30 days worth of rations or anything down here. Um, yeah, it wasn't designed really for that. Were they told to stay here? Were they going to drive to the airbase or what? They probably couldn't at that point. It, yeah, I mean, if you're done. So if you think about firing, the only reason that the Air Force that they would ever fires again this is in retaliation that's what made mutually assured destruction sure. work if you talk to the airmen that worked here their mission was deterrence not offense it was we're here to make sure they don't do anything stupid right um so if if the air force had had chosen if the president had chosen to fire then um we're being attacked um what to do from there that's i mean that's a big question that's a that's a tough question for all of us right well, since Arkansas had so many of these things, were were we probably a major target for Russia? We're still a major target. I'm sure. I mean, nothing's because changed. we have the airbase. I right. guess. Yeah, you have a big airbase and the armories, and yeah, almost every state has has quite a few targets. The upside, the reasons, you know, like Kansas is a good example. You destroy all of Kansas. Yes, you're going to lose. What's the population of Kansas? Two, three million people. 
Um, not many. Yeah. Right. Not many compared to a major city. Sure. So that's why you find a lot of missile silos here uh, or missile silos in kind of your flyover states. So when the walking dead happens, you're going to move down here. Sure. <laughs> yes. I always, the funny part is I always have people that are like, Oh, I'm going to come see you when the apocalypse happens. And in my mind, I'm like, no, you're not. You can't. You know? It'll be sealed. You'll be down here. Yeah. No, it's a, yeah, there's a, there's a Twilight Zone episode called, I think it's called The Bunker that actually goes through original Twilight Zone. It actually goes through that process. It's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. You know, do you remember watching the day after? How'd that affect you? Do you I mean, I don't, you're I don't the kid that, that grew up and has the thing. Has the thing. I tell people I'm about 20% prepper. Uh, I'm only 20% because if I was like crazy prepper, we wouldn't be down here, right? I That's wouldn't right. tell anybody about it or sure. a website about it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not that much. I like the safety and security of thinking about this place, but no, I'm not sitting down here with a whole bunch of food storage besides the food storage I have on, on myself. Um, <laughs> I don't have any food storage or anything like that. So we're, we're not like that. This is just, it's not an armory full of machine guns down no, here. Anything cool like that. No, it's, it's a cool place. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a really neat piece of history and it is, it is nice to know that if I close the doors, I can sleep through a tornado if I need to. It's Valonia anyway, you know, so that's uh, true. likely we'll have to anytime. The soon best enough. storm shelter in Valonia, definitely. Likely, yes. Give us the website one more time. Uh, TitanRanch.com. Awesome.